0: When we started, there were 12 of us. I was 26 when I moved. Our two pastors were 21 and 24, oh, Wow! right? Yeah. So we were a very yeah. young, small church. Today, we have, in this city alone, we have four locations mm-hmm. uh, in which we do church. And so a lot of our ministries are you know, focused on a location, whereas in the beginning days, uh, everything was focused on one small group of people. We had three families when we started and three little babies. There were no need for kids' ministries and any kind of thinking like that. Today, of obviously, it's very different. What are, like, similar threads
1: from, like, when our church started um, to now when it comes to, like, applications and implications of the gospel and what are some like different threads that have emerged over time
0: yeah well one thing when we started <clears throat> we weren't sure that we would be successful at a church actually being planted hmm. when we thought about what do we do if we we fail I love Paul Dennard has an answer to that. He was talking to one of the leadership guys back in Iowa where we came from. And the guy said, look, we're sending you out to to reach people and love people with the love of Jesus Christ. Mm. And if God chooses to have a church started, that would be great. If God chooses not to have one, start there in East Lansing how in the world can you call yourself a failure when you're loving people mm. with the love of Christ? That's good. I, I appreciate the, the, the thread with like love
1: because like I feel like the expression or, like, or how that's even applied in the Christian's life to people who are not Christians or Christ followers may have changed. I don't know. Like have you seen that change over time?
0: <sighs> how do you love people? Yeah. Yeah. Has has that changed? I don't think that's changed. I think it's more difficult Mm. today to have gospel conversations, for instance. Mm. What I've discovered today is the best thing that I can do is become people's friends Mm. and just get to know them. And that may take weeks, months. It can take years to be friendly enough to have a an understanding of relationship to have a gospel conversation. So that's very different today. You
1: mentioned that it's challenging. Like, what do you personally see to be the obstacles for our church to overcome, to
0: move in that direction? Hmm. One of my concerns would be that uh, our church... Doesn't know how to sit beside people who are still struggling and giving enough patience and understanding for these people to move toward Christ and to move toward, uh, you know, a, a a discipled lifestyle. Yeah. One of the things I've picked up. Uh, because I'm, I'm still trying to learn as reaching youngers with a, with a understanding of how the culture has impacted people in a negative way and to learn how to come alongside people and be a part of eventually helping them understand more and more of how Christ can help solve their issues and so I'm always keen. That's a that's an old word. I'm keen to learn uh, from the youngers and go out and tr- I actually try things yeah. that I've I've heard them talk about. I was just talking with like a group within our venue, and um,
1: we were talking about Jesus as the doctor who who heals you from your wounds, who mm-hmm. takes care of you from your pain, mm-hmm. you know, and the church to be a place of healing.
0: I would hope that our church could be a place where broken people who are really struggling, that we would be a patient, loving, kind community to love these people. Yeah. That no matter where we're at as a church, that people, we're not only you know growing in Christ and, and, and learning, to be discipled and all and as a church family helping one another do all that but also i my hope and is that we would be a people on mission i'm so happy that in every sunday service we open the word of god and we we allow the word to speak into our lives in ways where we know god better and may convict us of of things to consider for our own personal Walk with Christ. I'm so glad that those things have never changed. And um, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those things we emphasize, and I'm so glad that we're, 45 years later, we're still doing it.
2: Mm. You want to hear something wild? Steve, who is in that video, is seventy years old. He just turned seventy. Uh, young is thirty years old. I'm 50 years old, right in the middle of those two guys. And Young and I were talking this week because Young is going to be recognized as one of our pastors this month. And we're talking about how cool would it be if there was a 10-year-old kid in our church uh, who becomes a pastor at RIV someday and continues this, uh, this, 20-year, this 20-year trend. So um, I wanna take you back today. I wanna take you way, way back way back to the fall of 2019. Right, I mean, right, that feels like it was decades ago, right? Um, But in the fall of 2019, the pastors at RIV, we felt like we were at a little bit of a crossroads as a church. Um, And and what I mean by that is that we had a lot of excitement. God has done some amazing things at RIV down through our history, and we've planted a lot of churches, and we've seen thousands of lives changed, but we also had like this little bit of, of trepidation. Because as our church has has grown from the small little church that met on the campus of Michigan State to a large uh, four-venue church around uh, the Lansing area, uh, just a number of things had happened, and they're just natural things that happened over time. Uh, One of which is, like, for a long time, Riv was known in the Lansing area as the church that was the young church. Um, And uh, for a long time, our median age uh, was in our 20s. Uh, For a long time, it was like 20 where half of our adults were between 18 and 24 and half of our adults were 25 to to eternity. Um, And we were, you know, quite young as a church. We also had this reputation for being super engaged in our community. I remember one conversation we had like almost 15 years ago where we're like, we need to figure out how to get our people to serve in our church because they're spending so much time in the community. They have no time left for the church, right? Um, It was just, that was kind of part of our uh, DNA. We've always been a church that takes the Bible really seriously, um, but we were always known as the church that didn't take ourself too seriously. And, and one of the things that really kind of hit me was there, there's a sense in which we take ourselves maybe a little bit too seriously. And so by the time we hit 2019, we, uh, and, and we would say that we kind of lost a little bit of our edge in a lot of those things. Um, we were becoming older as a church family, which is fine because our, our, our young people were getting older um, and sticking around, but less young people were, uh, were coming around. There was a sense in which we weren't as involved in the community a- as we used to be. And again, like I said, we took ourselves a little bit uh, too seriously. I remember in the early days, we tried some crazy things that I don't even want to tell you about right now because they're just bonkers, but we just thought, eh, we won't take ourselves do seriously. We'll just try those things. And so in the fall of 2019, um, we knew that you kind of get to a point where uh, if you don't re-engage on those issues and start really being serious about them, uh, there would be a point that it would be too hard to do that. And so what we did, if you were here with us way back in 2019, um, you may remember we did a series that we called More of the Same. And it was intended to be playful, right? Um, A little tongue-in-cheek to say, hey, God has done some great things in the history of our church and we'd just like for him to do more of those those great things. But man, I gotta tell you, that phrase more of the same did not age well. Um, <laughs> just a few months after we launched that, 2020 pulled the rug out from underneath our entire world, right? And, and, and there was the, what I like to call the toxic trifecta of 2020. Uh, there was the pandemic, uh, there were social justice issues, and I'm not sure if you noticed there was a little bit of political angst in our society. Um, and all of those things created what one guy, he's a missiologist by the name of Ed Stetzer called the great sort of 2020 one. And what he means by that is is if you go back to like the 50s and 60s, uh, way back in the 50s and 60s, people would normally select a church uh, based on their theology, what they believed. So right, so if you became a Christian in a Methodist church, uh, you'd move to another city and you'd join another Methodist church. If you got mad at your Methodist church, you'd just find the other Methodist church in town and if you are mad enough, it would split to two, and then what would happen? There'd be the first Methodist church, right? And then the other ones, right? And people kind of stuck with where they, they, they were theologically. Well, the 80s and 90s changed all that. In the 1980s and 1990s, people began to select churches based on style. If you were around back then, you may remember the worship wars is what they called it, where some people selected a church based on traditional music and others on contemporary music. And then over time, contemporary music no longer meant the English definition of the word contemporary, which means like modern and fits this this moment, but it just became that moment from the 70s and 80s. And then that became the new worship war. And so people selected churches based on style of preaching, style of music, things like that. Well, Ed Stetzer says that in 2021, there was another sort that happened. People sorted rather than on theology or style, they chose a church based on how the church responded to those three issues of 2020. The pandemic, social justice, and political issues. And people sorted into a church based on social political views for the first time in history. And, and, of course, the time will come where people smarter than me are going to have to sort out what that means for the church and, and, and long, uh, the long-term impact of all of that. Uh, but to just be bold, more of the same is like the dumbest thing for us to say we want to be as a church. <laughs> Because, like, let's be honest, and and I'm the guy who came up with the idea, so, like, I'm saying, it's really stupid. Like, uh, to say that we want more of the same is to say we want to go back to what things were like before the pandemic. Well, that ain't happening anywhere, right? Or to say that uh, we want it to be exactly like things are right now, and I don't think anybody wants that either. And so what happened was, by the time we got to last summer, um, we had a bunch of pretty difficult conversations um, as a pastoral team about who we are as a church, and what we want to be. And we talked about what we want to be and what we definitely don't want to be. And what we realized what we don't want to be is that vision that we had cast of being more of the same. We just realized we just definitely didn't want to do that. We also knew that uh, those of us who were pastors and made a lot of decisions uh, over time, we, we needed to not be the ones making all of the decisions either because we needed input from other people. So what we did is we found almost 150 people, more than 100 people at our church, diverse people, um, our board and pastors and high school students and college students and men and women, ethnic diversity, all kinds of people, and asked them questions about our church, about who we are, about who they would hope that we would become. We surveyed all those people, and then we had a, a, a young group of, of millennials and Gen Zers. I was the old guy in the room. Uh, Pastor Mark and I were in the room uh, to kind of facilitate things and to learn, uh, talked to us about those core values. They dug through the core values with us and helped us see uh, kind of what they would dream as younger people that we would be as a church. And then we put together this kind of draft of core values. and We went back and forth with all the pastors and, and gave it to different groups in our church to look at. We had some theological debates because the Theology popped up, and so we had big theology debates with everybody, and then we kind of knocked out two more versions of our core value statement and said, okay, these are going to be our new core values as a church. And then we pulled together another team of millennial and Gen Z leaders and had them help us put together a new mission statement for our church. That went to the pastors, pastors stacked our hands on it, gave it final approval. Now, I know that was a crazy long introduction. (laughs) but I wanted you to hear how we got to where we are uh, today. So what we're gonna do for the next seven weeks is today we're gonna talk about this new mission statement. And then the next six weeks after that, we're going to talk about our six new core values one at a time as we talk about what we really hope that Riverview is and Riverview will become. If you want a sneak peek on all this stuff, you can go to rivchurch.com slash beliefs, new page that uh, showed up on our site about, I think, about one hour ago uh, <laughs> that lists our new vision, our new mission statement, our new core values. And as you're looking at those, you may say, well, wait a minute, I don't actually think Riverview is those things yeah, we aren't all those things right now. It's aspirational. It's what we're hoping that God will do uh, in our church. And so today, like I said, we're going to cover our mission statement. So I just want to stop and pray at this point for us, for our church. Um, And then we're going to take a look at this thing. Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you. I just, man, I look up at the picture on the wall for those of us who are at the whole venue and I, I, I look at the, the, the men and women who started our church back in 1977 and the dream that they had to to reach people for Christ, to love them. And we just pray that that we would walk in step with that, but in new and creative ways um, in the culture in which we live right now. Uh, we know that we haven't always got everything right. We're not a perfect group of people but we just pray that you would continue your work that you promised that you would do to transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. All right, so here is our new mission statement. At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. That's what we wanna be. And this came out of a lot of those conversations, and so we're just going to walk through this thing bit by bit and talk about what this means. Starting with, at RIV, we invite everyone. Christianity is, in, in a very real sense, an invitation. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus was at a dinner party with a bunch of religious guys. Now, Now, for context, in the book of Luke, religious guys were always mad at Jesus for hanging out with notorious sinners. Like, he would go to have a dinner party with notorious sinners, and they were always angry with him for that. And so now, they invite Jesus to dinner, and he says, okay, I'll come have dinner with you guys, too. And so while he's having dinner with these notorious sinners, he says some really provocative stuff that goes over their heads. It's like they totally miss that he is talking about them. And so he tells them a story. And it's in Luke 14, starting in verse uh, 16. It says, Then Jesus told him, a man was giving a large banquet, and he invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I I bought a field. I got to go see it. I I ask that you excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Isn't that great? It's like, I got a new F-150, just I got to make sure I can pull that tractor back and forth, uh, uh, you know, just, it's great, I'm going to try it out, I ask you, excuse me, another said, I just got married, the one person with probably a good excuse, um, and therefore I'm unable to come, and so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in the poor, maimed blind and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of these people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Think about the power of this invitation. This is the upside down nature of the gospel of Jesus. And let me say it as boldly as I can. Those that think they deserve to get into Jesus's kingdom will not be there. Because none of us deserves it. No one earns our way there. There are many that will be invited that will not say yes. Yes. And the context here is is Jesus was talking to these first century Jews who thought that their entrance ticket to to heaven was punched just because they were Jewish. And Jesus flips the table and says, no, um, everyone is invited. And some of the people who are invited, you may think that they're going to be there, but they're not even going to be there. And who is likely to accept an invitation to a fancy banquet? Someone who is really hungry. (laughs) This is why at RIV, we invite everyone. We should be able to look around at our services and see people that are different than we are. We should be able to look around and see people who disagree with us on some stuff. We should be able to see some stuff that maybe there's some people who don't treat the pandemic the way we wish they would have, or social justice issues, or social political issues. We should be a diverse group of people that reflect our community, maybe even some people that we wouldn't even want to hang out with. We invite everyone. At RIV, we invite everyone for a purpose, to know Jesus. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Our invitation is everything. It's all about Jesus. And and when we say this, we don't mean we're inviting people to know about Jesus, right? Like, I know a lot about Tom Izzo, but I've never met Tom Izzo, right? Right? but I know the people in my life group. In fact, I have a story I want to tell, but I can't tell you the whole story, but there's a reason I can't tell you the whole story, you just have to live with it, but I'm gonna tell you part of the story anyway. So I was hanging out with some people, and with this group of people I was hanging out with, one of the people in this group was a woman in my life group, and someone else in the group of people that we were hanging out with said something that presumed a set of knowledge about me and how I'm wired, and this dude was totally wrong right? So he says this thing, and then I look at the woman from my life group, and she does one of those really quick like, you know, like, like eyebrow things that says, yeah, I got you. And, and I knew in that moment, this dude doesn't know me, but she knows me, right? Because the people in my life group, we do life together. We know each other's um, strengths and weaknesses and dreams and sorrows and aspirations, and we just know each other. It didn't matter that this other guy didn't know me because I was known. Well, at RIV, we invite everyone to know Jesus like that. And you can see why it's so important in Jesus's most famous prayer, other than the Lord's prayer. In John 17, this is Jesus's prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. And yes, Jesus Christ just spoke about himself in third person. He's allowed to. He's God. If you do it, you sound really arrogant, so don't do it. But Jesus can, right? And and what does he say? He says, eternal life comes through knowing God and knowing Jesus. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we are looking for this life that he's talking about. And sometimes um, when we hear phrases like eternal life, we kind of get this weird thing in our brain. This is what we think. We think, oh, I have my life now, right? My life goes until I die, Right? And then eternal life starts when I die and goes forever, right? That's how we tend to think about eternal life. And so we think about it in two categories. But think about eternal life differently. Think about using the word everlasting instead of the word uh, eternal. And think about the fact that what Jesus is offering is everlasting life. That in that moment that you believe in him and you place your faith in him, from that moment on, you have life. Now, there's gonna be a transition where you move from this life here on earth to, to, to this, this being with him for all eternity, but it is a life that is everlasting, which means right now experiencing the life that Jesus offers you. It means that if you believe in Jesus now, it should change you now. That's why we say at RIV, we invite everyone to know And enjoy Jesus. Now, I know that may be a really weird word. And you're like, why is that word enjoy showing up in this mission statement? Well, here's the thing. We tend to think about Jesus so often in transactional terms. Like I do stuff for Jesus and then Jesus does stuff for me. And even for those of us who don't believe we can earn our way into heaven or we deserve it, we still think, I believe in Jesus. I place my faith in Jesus, and then he gives me everlasting life. He gives me eternal life and forgiveness. We think of him in, in transactional terms. But there's this famous, like, well, it's kind of like a call and response um, uh, way of learning um, the faith uh, that's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I know it already sounds boring, right? but it was put together by some Scottish dudes, some Irish dudes to describe the faith. And here is the very first call and response that they have, this question and answer they have about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And it starts with this question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what are we here for? Why do we exist? Why were we created? Why do we live? What is the chief end of man? And this is the answer to their question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In fact, let's do this as a call and response just because why not? I'm gonna read the question, then you're gonna tell me the answer. What is the chief end of man? You guys sounded like you were in a library. Like, let's just, I'm gonna turn my notes off for a second. We have to talk about this. The same you're supposed to enjoy God. So we're going to do it a third time. Um, this time, I just want you to smile while you say it. That's all it's going to take. Okay. So go back. All right. What is the chief end of man? Chief end God to him so here's the question. Does that describe your faith? Are you all about glorifying God and enjoying God, enjoying Jesus? See, the reason we started with knowing Jesus is you can't enjoy a person until it, that you don't know, right? Because it, what it is, it's transactional. You're just watching them, right? Like I can watch Otani, who is the greatest baseball player who has ever lived, and fight me if you think I'm wrong. Here's the thing. The guy can pitch and the guy can hit. So when I watch him pitch or I watch him hit a home run, I can enjoy what he does. But I don't enjoy him because I don't know him. You have to know someone to enjoy them. But when I watch my son playfully torment my wife, I enjoy them. Because I know the intimacy and depth of relationship that goes into the torment, right? I know it comes from this place of love, right? So we should know Jesus at a level that we are we, we, we enjoy this relationship that we have with him that turns into us enjoying our life. And when we enjoy Jesus, we give glory to God. It's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. The chief goal of our life, the reason we exist is to give God glory. And we give God glory by enjoying God. The Bible talks about this a lot. It really does. You can go back to the book of Psalms, and th- Psalm 37. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. In Philippians, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. What I love about this is I wonder if Paul was just like, like he was saying it and his scribe was writing down. Rejoice in the Lord always, got it. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Okay, I'll write that Ah, okay, leave it in there. The Holy Spirit says that's good, right? Rejoice in the Lord. And this is one of my favorites. In 1 Corinthians, wherever that is, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And what does the Westminster Shorter Catechism say? It says, that We enjoy God. That's how we give glory to God, right? I wonder if the Scottish dudes could write that as the first call and response of the Westminster Shorter Catechism because the Scottish dudes invented Scotch whiskey. And they know how to enjoy God, right? You can send me emails if you want. I'm gonna send you back a list of my favorite Scotches. You're welcome. When you shovel your driveway do it to the glory of God. <laughs> when you jump on a trampoline, <laughs> do it for the glory of God. When you go to church, do it for the glory of God. Enjoy this life that God has given you and that will give him glory. At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble <laughs> One of my favorite songs that we sing at Riv is called Day by Day. And let me just read a few of the words. It says, Even when I'm at my worst, I'm still of righteous birth. Covered by a saving grace, past, present, future debt erased. My heart is changing day by day. When I run like wildfire, I'm still a ransom child. Bought with blood spilt on a tree, sin, death. They have no hold on me. My will is changing day by day. I'm not who I was. Now I am who I am, a sinner saved, a stumbling saint. Still, I'm never alone. He's alive in my bones, the ghost of God. Isn't that a great way of saying the Holy Spirit? The ghost of God sanctifies. We are all stumbling saints. When we are at our worst... We know that in Jesus, we are still of righteous birth. No matter what you have done in your life, what you do, what you will do, if you are in Christ, you are covered by a saving grace. Your heart is changing day by day, whether you even realize it or not. Your will is changing day by day, whether you realize it or not. And that's why we need to know Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more we enjoy Jesus, the more he changes us from the inside out. And I love that last line. Still, I'm never alone. He's alive in my bone. The ghost of God sanctifies. Sanctified means to set something apart, to make something holy. The ghost of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life day by day by day by day. He's changing you. He's sanctifying you. He's changing your heart. He's changing your will every day. So that prayer of Jesus is back in John 17. Let's go back to it. In verse 17, he says this. He prays this to God, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Jesus has promised to sanctify us, to make us holy. How? By the truth. And what is the truth? The word of God. Here's what's fascinating. Who is the word of God? That's actually the right way to ask the question. Jesus. And how do we know Jesus? Through the word of God. It is through the word that we know the word so that we may enjoy Jesus, so that he can transform us from the inside out to be joyful people. And we all recognize we have so much farther to go. That's why we stumble. We stumble toward Jesus. In fact, that root word for sanctified is the word saint, by the way, which is Why, if you believe in Jesus, you can call yourself a stumbling saint that the ghost of God is sanctifying, and you're never alone. And it's not just the Holy Spirit in your life, it's us. You have us. At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together. See, as as Jesus continues his prayer in verse 20, he says this. He says, I pray not only for these, and these were his disciples that he was praying for right there. He says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. So what Jesus is doing is he's grabbing us and he's pulling us into his prayer and he's praying for us. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. See, the purpose of us being one with Jesus and one with another is that other people would know about Jesus. That they would believe that Jesus is the one that was sent to save them. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. See, Jesus pulls us into his prayer, and he prays for us. Our sanctification, the working out of our salvation, requires one another. We can't do it by ourselves. It requires grace, and vulnerability, and accountability, and being open like that, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the communion saints, can seem on the surface to be super scary, but it's scarier to live alone. You see, we all have our own life experiences, right? Some of our life has been life-giving, some of it has been painful, and we need people who know that part of us. Satan is called the accuser for a reason. He accuses us. He tells us we're not good enough. He tells us that no one will understand if we tell them our pain or our temptation. He tells us our temptation is too strong and so we must stumble together. We need other Christians who will point out tough things in our lives that we need to hear to point to scripture to remind us who we are in Christ and to remind us of our new calling. Our calling that is summed up in one word in Jesus' prayer, love. At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit, this is our pursuit, to love like him. If you want to find a Bible verse on love, you can pretty much just open your Bible and throw a dart. I don't recommend it. Um, but there's just so much in here about love. I just want to show you one passage. In 1 John verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. This is the cyclical nature of God's love. And it's the cyclical nature in our mission statement. God loved us first. He sent Jesus to reveal that love to us, to live the perfect life that we can't live, to die on the cross as the atonement for our sins, and to raise from the dead so that we might live through him. And it's so simple and so profound. But what does John say here? If God loved us that way, we must also love one another. This is our pursuit We pursue loving like Jesus. And how did he love? Well, pretty much that could be the topic of every sermon for the rest of my life until I get called back to glory. But here's a simple way that he loved. At his core, he came to us. And he loved us and laid down his life for us. So that's how we love. We, to love like him, we invite people. We go to them, we serve them, we lay down our life for them, we love them, and we invite them to know and to love Jesus along with us. And as we pursue that love, and they come to Christ, and they start knowing and and loving Jesus, and they start pursuing the love like him, they start inviting other people (laughs) And that's the cyclical nature of this love. At RIV, we are not about what happens inside these doors. We are about what happens outside of these doors. We are here to be encouraged, to be challenged, to link arms with one another, to love one another. But then we turn around and we walk out those doors to love everyone we meet in the name of Jesus. Have we always been like that? No. But let's be that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would transform our community to being that. We just pray that we would be people who know and enjoy Jesus. Um, That we would invite everyone that we meet to know and enjoy him. That we would be known for our pursuit of loving people like Jesus. And we just pray that uh, you would do that transformative work inside us. We know that we can't do it. We confess that sometimes we've got this right and sometimes we haven't got this right. But we just pray that you would make this who we are again. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.